podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite Wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. boys are back from a cold icy and snowy kansas city but there's one place that's never cold and icy that's the internet and my favorite website is mybookie.ag you can gamble on all sorts of crazy stuff have you ever wanted to gamble on seventh division english soccer no well if you get addicted to gambling mybookie.ag can make it so you can gamble on literally anything Use our promo code CHAIR, you get a $1,000 deposit match bonus up to, it's 100%. So you put 1000 in, boom, you have 2000 to gamble with over at mybookie.ag. They're our favorite spot. They've been riding with us for like almost a full year. Um, they've only hopped off twice. And I think that's because the boneheads are just so good at gambling, but they're back and I don't see them leave anytime soon. A man who I hope is not leaving anytime soon. It is Grant. Grant, how are you doing? Good, man. It's game day. I'm looking forward to the Chiefs. I'm a little depressed about the Cats basketball, but um, staying warm. The, the, the storm wasn't quite as bad as I thought it was going to be. So, you know, it's been a good weekend so far. It, it was. It's super icy up here north of the river. I actually this morning got out and scraped off and defrosted my car so I don't have to worry yeah. about that tomorrow morning but it's going to get above freezing today so it's going to be sloppy and it might be refreezing so uh, if you're traveling anywhere just be safe monday morning um another just hey just up at the top of this podcast if you're listening to this first thing on monday morning today just might be an eventful day in k-state sports so i wouldn't be putting the phone down i'd keep an eye to twitter i'd keep an eye to k-state online i think it might be an exciting day but because we're recording this on a Sunday morning, I can't say anything because you know what? Shit changes. And I've gotten caught in uh, precarious situations by declaring stuff too early. And then my haters like to troll me on Twitter. So I'm not going to say anymore. If you ask me. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so let's get into it. Um, today's show, as you can see by the title, is predominantly going to be us putting a bow on the 2019 football season. But before we do it, we do got to touch on basketball. Another disappointing loss to Texas. Um, it was on Longhorn Network. It was during the NFL playoffs. So I don't think a lot of folks even watched it. Probably for the best. Um, it was a first half where they were hit, hit and miss. They were pretty close. Texas got lucky, quite frankly, with a lot of last-second desperation-type three-pointers that went in. Um, but the second half, K-State went the first 12 minutes without scoring. Not 12, first eight minutes without scoring. Then the game was basically over from that point. There's no need to really go back and re-legislate much of that actual game. But I do want to ask you, Grant, were you following along with the travel saga for the team to even get down to Austin? I was. It started out you know, with me following travel sagas of different journalists um and then i realized that oh wow this is actually going to probably affect the team too 
and it did. I mean, it was difficult getting to Austin um, for a lot of people, and not really an excuse on how he performed, but um, definitely was a concern. No, it definitely isn't an excuse, and quite frankly, that was probably the most exciting part of this road game. Um, They were supposed to fly down there Friday afternoon. Uh, There were some commercial flights that got out of Manhattan to get down to Dallas, which I think a lot of the journalists were on. But then from there, uh, you know, they didn't get out on time, so they they had to stay in Manhattan extra night. Then everything weather-wise was all clear Saturday morning, but then the plane they had, mechanical issues, which, you know, that's just like a scary thing to think about. So, uh, ironically, the fact that KU was playing Baylor uh, really kind of helped out the Cats even being able to get to Austin because the charter plane that Baylor had was stationed in the downtown airport down in Kansas City. It flew over to Manhattan. They had a crew change. They got them down to Austin. But they didn't even arrive to the gym until like I think two and a half hours, maybe three hours before the game. That's like insane in college basketball. The like not even being in the city you're going to play in until three hours before the game. Deal. <laughs> Absolutely not a deal. But hey, the guys got there safe, and that's really the one thing that we can ask for. Um, I didn't think we were going to win anyway, so I'm just glad the team's alive. Yeah, you know, that is better than the alternative. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, the season is not alive. I, 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 I've, I started saying it, I think, maybe during the quick take, hot take, which, you know what, shout out to anyone who listened to that. I still, to this, to this day, have no idea what happened with the mic or the editing <laughs> or the playback. I have no idea. I mean, I sounded like I was – sounded like you, you know, were in slow motion, but, like, it was talking at the normal speed. It was strange. Yeah, it was just like a way deeper voice. You know, I I wouldn't mind having maybe that I should do that voice, so people cop, stop saying I sound like Aziz. Still, don't understand how people come up with that, but it is what what it is. If people want a good laugh, go back and find the quick take hot take from that disappointing loss to TCU. But uh, the season's basically over. But uh, that is really bad for content on this podcast, where uh, we try to do two shows a week all through basketball season. We're going to keep trying to do that, um, you know, and it's going to be tough. So here's my question to you. I will give three after you, but I want to hear three either storylines, topics, just anything that you're going to be following or rooting for or hoping uh, to keep in touch with for the rest of this basketball season. We still have 15 Big 12 games. We still have to go to Alabama in the Big 12 SEC Championship um, there is a lot of time. It's basically two, three months left in this basketball season. So over the next two to three months, what are you going to be plugged into? What are you going to be watching for? Um, well, I started a couple new series on Netflix. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so the first, <laughs> I mean, the main three ones, and I'm sure we have some overlap with our uh, with the with the main ones, and this one specifically. This is the most thing that the, the thing that I am most interested in, and in for the rest of the season is basically giving the freshmen. And we talked about this kind of a baptism by fire. Um, I think they should get loads of minutes to let them grow. Um, this could be a very valuable year and ex- and experience for them. Um, kind of let's let's set the foundation going forward. Kind of similarly to how 
Barry Dean and Cam had to come in and kind of struggle early on in order to blossom into what they became as upperclassmen. I think, you know, the season, as we just said, is basically over. Um, we would have to almost win out to to um, get anything out of the season. And I think that we should be looking towards the future. And, and we have a good group of freshmen that I think would be able to soak up a lot of minutes and, and grow a lot if they got a lot of time this year. So that's the main thing that I'm looking forward to. Do you want to trade off? Or you want me to go all three? Well, I, I'll let you do all three, but here's something on that point I want to ask you about. This was maybe the one thing I was encouraged about yesterday. It was Bruce Weber in his post-game press conference said that he believes Dejuan <laughs> yeah. is going to end up growing into the leader that this team leads. A, how kind of damning of the upperclassmen is it that Bruce basically is trying to thrust a freshman who has played in, you know, less than 20 games in his career into that leadership role that has become obvious that Bruce Weber teams need and B on the positive side of it. Uh, how excited, excited are you that uh, at least the next guy has been identified to take the reins uh, to be the leader that this program needs? Man, it's pretty damning um, of those upperclassmen. It's just, it's disappointing. I mean, we're only 15 games in, and we've the fact that we have failed this badly, only three games into conference play, I did not foresee it. I mean, I know people thought we were going to struggle this year, but this is well beyond where I thought we would be. Um, it's really disappointing, but I think it's great that he's, do you think that maybe as a coach that's experienced some serious roster turnover in the past that maybe he's laying some planting some psychological seeds for Tejvon Gordon to stick around? Uh maybe, but I, I also don't think that uh I, I, I think there are definite transfer risks on this team. I don't think Dejuan Gordon's one of them. Uh keep in mind Bruce has had a very great relationship with Dejuan. Bruce was the first guy to really go all in on recruiting him, uh, even before you know Big Ten schools started looking at him, before rivals blew up on him. Uh, Bruce was the one who brought him into Team USA basketball. Uh, so Bruce is the one that says that Dejuan's calling him in the middle of the night to talk about defensive schemes. I think those two have a great relationship, so I don't think that uh, Bruce is playing any sort of mental games to try to keep him there. I think he truly sees something in Dejuan and he's letting him know, hey, it's okay. You can now start asserting kind of your alpha mentality despite only being an 18-year-old. I mean, this team badly lacks leadership and Dejuan, you know, I'm totally fine with him being the guy going forward. Bruce knows him better than any of us. So I love it. I mean, for him to have the confidence in Dejuan to call him out like that in a press conference that's great. I mean, that's. I think that's only a positive going forward. Yep. So, what's the second thing you will be? Tuned I want into to see us? how the upperclassmen, you know, that are scheduled to return next season, continue to play. Um, you know, do they phone it in? Do they continue to try and improve for their senior season? You know, how do they handle being in the midst of, you know, a disastrous campaign? I mean, these guys have not experienced this before. How are they going to respond to adversity? They've already, we've already seen kind of how they respond to adversity so far this season, but you know, there's, like we said, there's a lot of season left to play. Um, and they've got an entire year left 
um, in front of them, provided that they all come back. So we're going to need guys like Cartier Jada. We're going to need guys like, you know, Mike McGurl. I don't know about Levi Stockard, but <laughs> I assume he's going to return. But we're going to need those guys. Um, we're going to need to, them to improve despite, you know, a season that's probably going to go down the drain. Um, so it's it, – as you know, I do want to see us give freshmen a ton of time building forward, but at the same time, we need our upperclassmen to continue to contribute and con- to continue to try to elevate the program going forward. So um, how are they going to respond to essentially a dog shit season? That's number two. And then number three specifically, what are we going to do with Cartier? Um, you know, how do we decide to approach him for the rest of the season? You know, he, in my opinion, he's our most important player um, going forward, and I think we should kind of build around him as a pure scorer. Um, he's had a lot of point guard responsibilities this year as well that, in my opinion, have caused some issues with the squad, has caused some issues with his performance. But um, I just would love to see him, see us build kind of offensively around him as our scorer, our go-to guy. But, you know, how does he, how does he in that same, along that same ilk handle being in the middle of like a disaster season. Um, so specifically, I'm going to be watching Cardi. Yeah, on those last two, I'm really going to – I agree with you. I think uh, it'll be interesting to try to stay in touch with what Cardi, what's going on in Cardi's head, and that's an interesting task because he, he marches to the beat of his own drummer. Um, I don't think – I think his – the way he plays leads people to think he's more nonchalant than he actually is. I think that's just the way he plays. Uh, but, you know, is he going to be back next year? Is he going to feel that he's in a spot that he wants to come back next year? Um, does he just say screw it and start ch- collecting paychecks? He's going to be a professional basketball player, whether it's the G League, whether it's in Europe. I mean, he can get paid high, you know, five figures up to six figures to play basketball now year um so i agree with you i think honestly that is probably the number one or number two thing that k-state fans should be you know continue to follow through the next yeah i really hope cardi comes back um i don't want his lasting legacy to be you know a short clip of a dunk at the end of a ku game um i don't want his legacy to be you know a what-if guy and it's it's pretty common for players to be leaving their junior year. I agree. He's definitely going to be a pro player somewhere. He's going to make money. But I hope he comes back. I mean, if he has the opportunity to go, then, you know, go make money. Um, I wouldn't hold it against him. But I I love Cardi, and I want him to come back, and, and I want him to prove us all wrong. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And that kind of couples up with what my first one's going to be is, I'm going to enjoy watching, you know, the final 16, 17 games of Xavier Sneed. Um, he's a really, really good basketball player. He's He hit the 1,000-point mark as a junior. Um, when it's all said and done, he might be the statistical leader on this team in points, rebounds, and steals uh, in his senior year. I think he will be on the peripheral, uh, if not getting all Big 12-type contention, Um, and he's going to continue to quote-unquote legacy build when it comes to the record books. Um, You you said it, his his legacy is going to be some of those moments um, as a supporting character in the Elite Eight run as a uh, Big 12 champion, and folks will think back to it's like, ah, he just wasn't quite good enough to lead the team 
as a senior. Um, and I, th- I don't know if that's completely fair to him, but I think that's what people are going to look back and say. But I think the number one thing I'm going to be watching for is basically him continuing to write himself into, uh, you know, the record books and history books at K-State. Yeah, I agree. I, I will personally remember, you know, Sneed pretty fondly. Um, you know, he's bail- he bailed us out well, a I lot think, <laughs> last year. So, I think anyone who, like, looks down on Xavier Sneed's legacy just because of this year is wrong. Um, and and I, I don't think that will happen. But, again, uh, fans are short for fanatics for a reason, and the final impression is sometimes the most lasting. I think that would be very unfair to Sneed, but – I will enjoy watching his final few games. The second thing I'm going to watch, and this might kind of harken back to what I said about Monday possibly being a uh, you know a day to keep in tune with K-State Twitter, K-State Online, uh, et cetera, et cetera, is the 2020 recruiting class. Folks would say, but Scott, you have three seniors and Sean Neal Williams already left. We have four signed commits. Uh, recruiting's over. I don't think so. I think uh, I think Bruce has basically signaled to the team and to the general public that he's not done for 2020, and I think he's going to be looking at some big guys, um, some transfers, some JUCOs. I think uh, I think that there will be some more departures. Um, you know, I I think it's easy to point at the roster and say who uh, might need to try to find a new home or maybe retire from basketball for medical reasons. Um, and I think that you'll see two, maybe even three more additions, making it a massive, you know, half your scholarship rosters spots are going to be new next year with that recruiting class. So that's something I'm going to be tuned into. Um, what are you hoping to see on that front? Um, I agree with you. I mean, recruiting is never really done. Um I think you might have some inside information that I don't know about, though, so we're going to have to talk about that a little after. Um, I don't know, man. I think you kind of you kind of summed that up pretty well. I don't have much to add to that. Yep, and then the final thing I'm going to be looking for, rooting for, hoping for, is one kind of signature wow-type win. Even when shit hit the fan in the Marcus Foster year, even in the first year of uh, recovering from all of that, you had some big wins. You had some ranked wins. Um, you even had some wins versus uh, daunted rival, the University of Kansas. Um, I, I still am going to be watching. I still am entertained, and I enjoy watching K-State basketball. And I'm wanting kind of like that one uh, signature win kind of sounds stupid because, like, you're not building towards anything. But that one when you can hang your hat on and say, hey, Yes, we know this was a shit season, but the pieces are there. Um, we can be a team that makes noise in the future. And uh, just having one game that you can point to in the offseason saying, guys, we're not as far off as our record said, um, I think that would be massive for morale moving into the 2021 uh, season. So uh, that's kind of the final thing yeah. I'll be holding out hope I for. totally agree and almost said that myself. Um, I will probably make a few games that are remaining on the schedule. But, um, yeah, I agree. I mean, this team has the pieces in place, I think. just doesn't – it's just not quite there yet. But I'm sure that we will nip some people that are not expecting it. Yep, definitely. The final thing on basketball, we're going to touch 
I'm, I'm sure if things go the way I anticipate the season going, which is not well, um, this won't be the first time I decide to kind of throw this into a show outline. But the fringe parts of the fan base on Twitter and on message boards and, you know, Facebook, etc., they're kind of coming out like saying, all right, this might be one of our worst win-loss seasons, uh, you know, dating back to, like, the 90s, like Tom Asbury, uh, Jim Waldridge type final records and advocating for the sacking of Bruce. Uh, I don't want to speak for you. I assume you're not in that place, but my question to you is, is there anything win-loss-wise that would lead you to being in the camp to get rid of Bruce, asking him to retire or fire him this season? No. I mean... I mean, even if even if we have the worst record-wise season in school history, um, no, I, we've already lived through a 17-loss, you know, Bruce year. Anything worse than that? What what's it, nine and 19? I think is our worst of all time. I mean, at that point, it's just splitting hairs. Who cares? Um, so no, record-wise, there's no like rock bottom where I'm gonna be like, all right, we got to get rid of Bruce. Um, but I, I, I can understand why people are upset. I'm already seeing. I agree with you. I'm already seeing kind of a lot of fire Bruce uh, out there. I don't blame people for their anger and their impatience. Um, personally, I was I was ready like to write off this year as you know. I think Bruce earned some cushion and you know teams have down years you know we're not a blue blood we should strive to be a blue blood and we should not accept losing but you know the reality is at the moment we are not and you know teams have down years it happens look at north carolina here look at virginia last year they were absolutely terrible and they've bounced back to be a top 15 team this year um sometimes you have to hit the reset button and move forward um it's a little more extreme than i thought um we are much worse than i thought we were going to be this year and I'm certainly disappointed in this season. Did not think we'd be this bad. Um, I don't think our roster reflects our record, but you know, and I think that is a failure of Bruce to have this team where it is. But I'm I'm not ready. I mean, he won us a title last year. He's got two Big Twelve championships, and he's got you know an excellent recruiting class coming in. So the guy still busts his ass, and uh, you know I'm not ready for that. What about you? Is there a record where you're like I'm? He's got to go. No, I don't think anything on the court could lead me to wanting uh, him to go. There'd have to be something scandal-wise um, for me to want him to go. I, I agree with you. Um, it, I Early on, I, I kind of was pushing back on you as saying it's a failure of Bruce on this season, um, and it is. And I've been in the situation of the folks who have wanted him fired. Um, you know, I, I, I understand everything that they're saying, but – this is a man who, uh, for better or worse, he did rebound and got us back to an Elite Eight and to a Big 12 title. And if you look at things at, you know, the mile-high view, uh, I think there's a lot of folks in a lot of programs in the country who would take, you know, three out of four uh, years in the tournament uh, with a conference title and Elite Eight. Like, I understand that uh, losing in the first round and all the other tournament uh, out of the other two tournament appearances isn't ideal um, and crashing out this hard isn't ideal. But uh, I, I mean, I, I would sign up for it. I mean, this goes back to the whole 
uh, Gary Patterson versus Bill Snyder argument uh, towards the end of Bill Snyder. People would point to Gary Patterson and say, hey, look at the highs he's achieved. Um, and then Bill Snyder defenders would say, oh, but Bill's always at least six wins. Gary Patterson's crashed out hard. Well, I'll take the crashing out hard as long as there are highs to follow it. If Bruce follows up like this crash out with not making the tournament next year and then the following year making the NIT, well, then at that point, I'm probably back to wanting him gone. But if he makes the tournament either uh, next year or the year after and then makes a run and then competes for a Big 12 title, I mean, that's what I, I'm willing to deal with as a K-State fan. I'm willing to deal right. with the crash and burn. I feel like that's, you know, that's the majority the of sports teams. It, that's how it works. I mean, there's a lot of ups and downs. Um, you have to reset. You have to rebuild for the future. Not every it's, – it's very, very rare to just have – you know, um, continued success at a very high level like that. Um, you only see that in this handful of teams. So I just think everybody's a little caught off guard with how extreme the decline is this year. Yep. I agree with you. And, and I'm not telling folks to sit back and accept it. Yeah. Um, you don't have to go to games. You can withhold donations. You can send emails to Gene Taylor. Uh, you can do that. I'm not telling you not to be frustrated because you, you have the right to be frustrated this sucks. We shouldn't have to crash out this hard, but it's still not uh, a situation where I'm willing to call for regime change. Um, so that's where I'm at. And again, I, I don't think there's anything that could happen this year to bring me off that. So I agree. All right. So let's, uh, let's put a bow on the 2019 football season. Um, I mean, you know, luckily because we went to a bowl game, and didn't have to deal with a coaching search. Uh, this got pushed back a lot farther than probably ideally it would have, but uh, I think it's a perfect time to put a bow on the season. So we're just going to go through it. We're going to touch kind of on position by position group, position group by position group, talk about the highs, talk about the lows. But before we do it, let's give out some superlatives for the season. Um, and I think at least for this first one, I think uh, we all have the same answer. So if you want to give one or two for this one, you can. But for the 2019 football season, what would be your game of the year? Yeah, I mean, this one's pretty obvious, isn't it? Um, it for me, I mean, personally, it's Oklahoma. Um, and there are some some other games that are tiered below that. but um, And we should talk about them. But what a blast. It was totally unexpected. I think it's the best atmosphere in Manhattan since at least 2012. Um, it was it was great. I mean, it was just a big party. I had family in town. I had uh, a buddy come back and go to the game, and it just it all worked out perfectly. And we got to upset Oklahoma, top five win, storm the field. It was just a great time. All right. Well, we, I agree with you. I agree with all that stuff. On top of that homecoming, I got to be on the field pregame. It, it truly was one of those games that. You know, just all worked as out. Time moves, <laughs> yeah, and as time moves on, I think it'll even get better when you go back and think about it. Because I, I, I think it's a top five K-State football game of all time for me. Yeah. I so, agree. Um, like, all right. It was really fun. All right. So what would be maybe your number two and maybe even number three if you're going to rank the games of the year? So in order, I have – Two, probably KU, um, just because the buildup was so fun. Um, it was I was terrified uh, going into that game, even though I thought we were we would probably win. Um, it was, you know, it was the most talked about probably Sunflower Showdown that we've had in 
maybe a decade. Um, and it was a lot of fun. Who is K-State? Yeah, it was, who is K-State? K-State? And, and, and that happened. And, you know, it was in Lawrence, and there was probably 18,000 K-State fans in that stadium, uh, maybe more. Um, and we just beat the shit out of them, and it was great. It was a great day out. It was great weather. Um, and it, it meant a lot for the program. So that's probably my number two. Yeah, mine is going to be Iowa State, uh, getting them again, um, and just, you know, it not really ever being too worried about it, which is weird for that game, um, but just kind of reasserting our position above them uh, has to be number two for me. If I had to do number three, it'd probably be KU, although I had a lot of fun at that Texas Tech game with uh, one of my good friends, Casey uh, Dodge. We were out there for the uh, Texas Tech game out there in Lubbock. That was a great time as well. I forgot you went to that. My number three is actually probably Mississippi State. Um, that was the game where I was like, all right, it is a new era. And I, Chris Kleiman, I think it might be for real because, um, you know, we had gone through the motions and beat the piss out of some FCS teams. And that's where we were able to kind of – put the stamp on the okay yeah this guy can coach at an fbs level and um i was you know just bricking it for that entire game um it was a lot of fun to go in on the road at an sec team where everyone basically picked us to lose yep that's a very good pick for number three uh here's my question for you what would the play of the year be there were a lot of great plays this year but ironically it's a play that I forgot about until an interaction with Dan Merker on Twitter the other day. Shout out to Dan. But that A.J. Parker interception um, right before the half um, at OU or against OU was – I remember that one very fondly. I love, especially in big games, an interception. I feel like it always gets the crowd super juiced, um, and that was like a huge momentum swing. Um, and it, that was, it made me really believe like, wow, we, we might actually pull this off. And I was just after that play in just great spirits. Yeah, I, that's a good one. Um, I think the one I'm going to go with is the one that probably will have the most long-term staying power on like the hype videos. And that's the helicopter hit in the Mississippi State game. I remember seeing him take off and just like, you know, my heart jumping into my stomach because they pick up that fourth down, then all of a sudden, you know, it's shit yourself city. Uh, But then it just, the the visual of this this guy flying, you know, 10 feet up in the air, coming crashing down the helicopter after a massive hit, and it being close, like it almost being a first down, and then him coming up short, I think that's going to be the one that sticks with me for this year. Um. So here, here's uh, the next one. It's offensive MVP. Who will you be going with for this award? Uh, I think it has to be Skylar Thompson for me. Um, and he's a divisive, for some reason, a super divisive figure. Um, but I think when he, I think he was majority overwhelmingly uh, pretty good this year. Um, he started off just excellent he had a handful of games where he was not very good and when he's not good he's not good but um you know i thought he took a huge step forward this year he still has some things he needs to work on but the only other person i might well i'll let you say i'll let you say yours and then we can chat well no i for me it's skylar thompson um 100 yeah. um and here's the thing if 
maybe James Gilbert or Jordan Brown were able to stay more healthy yeah. throughout the year. I think both of them might have had a shot to do it. But the fact that both of them kind of kind of ebbed and flowed with being healthy, not being healthy, um, that probably has a big effect on it. If you want to get super uh, literal with it, talking about value and you know value added to the team, I think I could listen to an argument from Malik Knowles yeah. because when he was healthy, that really allowed Skyler to be his best self in the games where he was limited or in the games where he didn't play, you definitely saw a drop off, uh, you know, in the entire offense. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, who was the other one? I would, I was kind of thinking James Gilbert, um, just statistically in, in a, in our system where, you know, it's running back heavy. He got the bulk of the carries and when he was on, you know, he was really formidable running back. So, but yeah, I, I agree. The only reason I couldn't is because you know he just had too many injury issues and could not stay consistent. So yeah, I think it's got to go to Skyler. All right, here's one that might be able to have a little bit more debate: defensive MVP. For me, it's Elijah Sullivan. Um, you know, he's a guy that I think was the most consistent. I think he's our most talented and just overall best defender. And on our best unit, the linebacking core. I think that's our, you know, the best unit on the defense. Um, I, I think he pretty much showed up and showed out every single game this year. Um, so it's, it's Sullivan for me. Yep, I I would agree with you. I think if I was going to make an argument for someone else, it'd be Wyatt Hubert. Um, it could also be I, Wyatt Hubert. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think he is the most skilled player on the entire team. I think we saw it when he was on. He was a game changer on defense, um, and I, I, I mean, I think that that kid has some massive years in front of him. Um, and, and yeah, I just, I just think that he was a guy who could disrupt almost any offense if he was having a, you know, a good game. So um, we'll keep moving. Special teams MVP. If I wanted to feel argumentative, I think I could probably try to argue for three different guys, but I, I think we'll end up landing on the same one. So uh, you, you go ahead and let's hear it. Oh, this one's actually tough. Um, it's gotta be, oh man, I really don't know. I really don't know. I mean, Ankle has a great shout for being probably the best. Well, one of the best punters in the country, best punter in our school history. Uh, and he was super consistent but Joshua Youngblood had some massive returns. I mean, he's an All-American, so... I think it's got to be Josh Youngblood. Yeah, no, I agree with you. That's the correct decision. But Blake Lynch was also um, great this year. Yeah, I mean, missed his first field goal, and then he was nails after that. How um, funny is that? That how I mean, our special teams was as good as it's been in a long time. Like, everyone was terrified. Oh, yeah, no, it, it's amazing. Um, and then I agree with you talking about how there were games and times where Ankle basically was a game changer as well. But I, I, I don't think you can go against Joshua Youngblood. Although if I was a better podcaster slash K-State fan, I would have tried to figure out if, you know, Brock Montier, one of these guys on the return unit also busted uh, for Malik Knowles or Philip Brooks's returns and tried to get even more meta than usual. But um I, I will go with Joshua Youngblood on that. Um, 
The final two we have before we start talking about individual players, who, who would you give your offensive young buck player of the year award? You can use whatever criteria you want for young buck. I'm going to say Malik Knowles. I mean, being a redshirt freshman, obviously I know he's been in the, in the system for a year before, you know, these other true freshmen, but, um, Young Buck of the Year, for sure. I mean, I think he's already our best wide receiver. And he just, you already mentioned it. You know, when he's not in the lineup, there's a clear difference between how our offense can perform than when he is in the lineup. Um, I would say Joshua Youngblood, but, you know, he just didn't have, you know, much of an offensive impact. I mean, he was obviously great special teams, but Malik Knowles, I don't think that you can really understate the difference he makes for this team. Yeah, I think that's probably the correct call. The other two that I would uh, argue for, give shout-outs to, is my guy, Jackson. While there were times he whiffed, um, he was on the Pro Football Focus All-Big 12 team, Pro Football Focus All-Freshman team. He was one of the top five nationwide fullbacks uh, of any class, according to Pro Football Focus. So I think that uh, that really, at least for me, uh, kind of puts him over the edge. The next guy I'm going to go with, he actually, and, you know, for better or worse, you know, I I don't know. I he, He's still a young guy. Nick Lenners, uh, he was an all-Big 12 player, ironically enough, as a fullback, even though he almost took no snaps as a true fullback. But he did make the all Big 12 team, so I have to give him a shout as well. Um, who would you go with as your defensive young buck of the year? Oh, defensive young buck of the year. I'm embarrassed that I'm blanking on this player's name. So I'm going to let you go first while I think of this young man's name. Oh, Daniel Green. Shit. There we go. Oh, that is embarrassing. I've been forgetting for his name a lot recently. I don't know what it is. I might be. I might have dementia, but uh, Daniel Green, I think he's shown um, that he's got all the potential in the world to become one of the better uh, linebackers in the conference. Um, You know, there were times where he was the best linebacker on the field in certain plays, and he's always, you know, I wish I had his Havoc numbers in front of me, but Fan is constantly posting them. One of our, one of the players that creates the most havoc on our defense, and that's something I'd love in a player, especially a young player. So probably Daniel Green for me. Yeah, uh, I wish you would have let me go first so I could have taken him. I, I will give a shout-out to Wayne Jones. Um, he, yes, he had some issues at times. He clearly improved, um, uh, though, I would say. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think he improved, and he also started almost every game back there. And I think that he is, I mean, he's a redshirt freshman. He's going to start probably at least 30 more games throughout his career. Um, so I feel like he will improve. But I, I think I'll give my official nod to him. Um, let's dive into talking about just position group by position group real quick. Uh, quarterback is going to be, you know, one of the quicker ones because there's only one guy to talk about. But um, would you say Skylar Thompson uh, for your preseason expectations, did he overachieve, underachieve, or meet expectations? I'd say he probably met expectations. Um, you know, there were some times he didn't play well, but I think majority of the season, 
you know, he did a, a good job commanding the offense. Um, and I wouldn't say there were any performances of Skyler that lost us games. I mean, there were games that their entire offense laid an egg, um, you know, games like Oklahoma State, Baylor. Skyler was not good in those games, but we probably were not going to win those games anyways. We were outmatched, and the offense, you know, it doesn't really lead back to Skyler for me. I mean, of course, you can pick out certain plays where he made boneheaded decisions, but um, I, for me, he met expectations. Going forward, I'd like to see him improve and, you know, maybe challenge, maybe challenge for a title, but um, I, that's where I'm sitting. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he met expectations. Um, just firmly met expectations, and I had high expectations for him. Um, I, 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 I could see, I could see arguments for folks saying he underachieved to the expectations. And the only reason I'd say that is because after those three non-conference games, I think the hype train was rolling pretty hard for him. And I think it was deserved. I'm not trying to take away from that, but. I could see where some folks would try to say he underachieved uh, based on the hype he had going into Big 12 play. But all in all, I think Skyler is who he is, and he has his limitations. And I think, uh, you know, I, I do think it's a valid criticism that sometimes he bails out of the pocket a little early. But I think he is a, I, I, I think that, uh, I think that he is who he is. And I think that is a good. Big 12 quarterback, um, closer to great than below average for me. So uh, he met expectations. What would you say was his probably one or two best games this year? I mean, oh, God, I feel like that first game, I know it was an FCS opponent, but he was so good that game. Just seeing, um, understand the offense, understanding when to check out of plays, um, was incredible at reading defenses. Um, he was hitting passes on the money. Uh, it was great to see him be able to come out of a shell in game one. Um, shoot, I'm trying to think back to other games. I mean, he was pretty damn good at KU, too. Uh, what about you? I mean, he was obviously elite against Oklahoma. How could I miss that? Yeah, Oklahoma and uh, Oklahoma and KU are probably the two best ones. I thought he was really good in the entire non-conference. I thought he was really good for Texas Tech. Uh, he found a uh, he found plays and made plays when he needed to versus Iowa State. So, but I agree. I think Oklahoma and KU are the best ones there. Um, before away from uh, quarterback, is there any move on to rest of the offense? Is there anything else we want to say about uh, this year with Skylar Thompson? Uh, nope. I'm looking forward to interviewing him next year. Yep, uh, Big 12 Media Days, only six short months away. Wolf City, USA. Uh, running back, fullback play, overachieve, underachieve, or meet expectations for you? Honestly, I think they overachieved for me. Um, I think those those two main running backs, Jordan Brown and James Gilbert, um, they were very solid running backs. Um, I, I, I mean, knowing nothing about them and coming in to a running back room with literally no players – um, they, I mean, and when you look at their college career, James Gilbert was pretty damn good at Ball State, but, um, you know, Jordan Brown hadn't really done anything at North Carolina outside of, you know, a few hundred yards, but I, I over, I had low expectations for them and I think they overachieved. Maybe that's my fault, but they just couldn't beat the injury bug when they were healthy and playing off each other. I thought they were pretty damn good formidable backs. 
Yep, I agree with you. I'm going to say overachieve uh, 100%. I had no expectations for them, and that's what worried me most coming into this season. Um, But I'm very glad they overachieved. And like you said, um, if they stay, if either one of them stays closer to 100% than 0% uh, throughout the year, I would have liked to see what they could have done. But, hey, that's football. It is what it is. Um, if you were going to give the position group stud of the year, who would you give it to? Probably James Gilbert. He's yeah, I agree. Solid. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think he deserves it. Um, at the same time, Jordan Brown made some massive plays. You could see he was a home run hitter, but again, just I think he was a little bit more banged up of the two. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to the fullbacks because I think this podcast, because of my background with fullbacks uh, and my obsession with them, I'm hyper focused on them. And I did point out sometimes where they were just whiffing on guys, but you know, in in a world where there isn't a lot of fullback play anymore, uh, I thought they were all. Very like very solid and obviously pro football focused, not very highly of Jackson Neen. Um, if we're going to move on, and here is how I'm wording this dubious honor. Position group player who left something to be desired of the year. Do you have someone for the running backs who would fit that distinction? Oh, boy. Um, no, <laughs> I don't. For me, it's the freshman running backs as a whole. Jarkadia Wright came on late, but I really did hope one of those guys was going to step up and really kind of assert themselves as the number three instead of Trotter or wanted one of them to, uh, to step up and take that mantle of number three back. And none of them ever did. So uh, I'm giving all true freshman running backs that dubious honor. That's fair. I would say. All right, so moving on to the offensive line, overachieve or meet your expectations? Overachieve, <laughs> which is funny. Really? Yeah. For offensive line, because I'm, I'm I'm saying underachieve. Yeah, but and and I I don't want to get caught up in the emotion of the pro football focus numbers. Um, I it, I again I I probably this this is like the inverse of Skylar Thompson for me. I got so hyped up after those yeah, three non-conference yeah. games. And then there were a handful of conference games that just they just were not great. So maybe I'm doing the exact same thing I kind of accuse other people of doing, but I'm giving them underachieved. So why would you say overachieved? Would you have said that before the pro football focus end of year grades came? I'm not even counting that. Like I didn't even think about that until you said it. Um, it's honestly just that I just don't think that that's a very – highly talented group of guys and i think that they um for them to put together a season where we were able to win eight games um and to have some of the running performances that we did i think they had pretty good pass protection for the majority of the year um and i just think it's a group of guys that i hate to say just aren't that good and i think that they overachieved their 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 level of talent i think that they were coached up pretty well and um you know i i think it's i'm worried moving forward because i i just don't think they were that good and if if the players below them were not able to 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 displace them then uh you know that's that's worrisome but i think that they they were they performed well enough um for their level of talent for me to say that they overachieved (laughs) well if i was going to try to make you feel a little bit better your whole overachieved statement is based on how good the coaching is 
well, the guys behind them that are already in the program will have had more time with this coaching staff than the guys who played this year and left. So if I was playing, uh, you know, point. optimistic devil's advocate, that's what I would say. So who would get your position group stud of the year? I'll probably give it to Adam Holtorf. I'd say that he was probably the most consistent of the bunch, at least in my opinion. What about you? Yeah, Holtor for France. Um, again, um, as a center, I really do like do focus in on Holtorf. Um, and early on, I was saying Holtorf for Remington. I, w- I was all about it. Uh, he had a bad couple run of games. Um, when it comes to Scott France, I don't think there was a dominant game he had. Uh, and he, he definitely had some mistakes. But I think there was only really one game, and I would say that was versus Oklahoma State, where he truly had a bad bad game i think all the 11 other games he either was at worst okay and at best he was very good um so i think it would be either holtorf or france who would give your who would you give your position group player who left a little to be desired of the year oh god probably probably scott france i expected him to be better i don't know but you know this is coming from a guy that doesn't key in on offensive line performance so I don't know. I just feel I like he said, was super hyped up and he struggled early on, and I don't know. No, I I, I understand that. I, I would go with Evan Curl. I thought he was the yeah. He was probably weakest, the weak link, I guess. I thought he was the weakest of the five. I thought Revis should have been getting all the snaps there instead of him. Uh, Revis, Pro Football Focus, number one player. I, I mean, I think he made their All Big Twelve team. Um, I think he graded out at close to uh, eighty nine percent, eighty nine grade. So. I, I think that uh, you might see Revis pop out to uh, tackle next year, but we'll keep it moving. Wide receiver and tight end play. Did they overachieve, underachieve, or meet your expectations? Uh, wide receiver probably met my expectations. Um, tight end play underachieved badly. Um, for wide receivers, I didn't expect a whole lot, and I don't really got a whole lot, so they, they met my expectations. Um I expected more out of the tight ends, um, but I just don't think that we have the type of tight end at this at the moment that that we want for the system. So, and we got some young tight ends as well. So hopefully they can grow into that position well. I think both underachieved tight end underachieved more drastically than wide receiver. Wide receiver is just a slight underachievement, um, but putting them together, I think it's a definite underachieve. Um, position group stud of the year. If you lump wide receivers and tight ends together, who would you give it to? Sorry, say that again. Cut out on me. Well, uh, position group stud of the year. Um, I'm going to surprise you, and I'm going to give it to Dalton Schoen. Um, although I think Malink is like a better player, I think Dalton Schoen was probably the most consistent of the bunch. Um, he was super reliable on third down for us um, a lot of times. I think he was a good leader for that wide receiver core, so I'm going to give that to him. Yeah, I'm not even going to argue against that. That is who I had oh, marked down yeah. on my sheet. Yeah, no, it, it was a good shout because here's the thing. He didn't deal with injuries, and if he did, he was out there. He was the most consi- consistent guy. Um, I think he was far from the most talented. Honestly, I think of the guys yeah. uh, who got consistent snaps, if you just went with raw talent, probably near the bottom. But he was able to make plays when we needed him to. Uh, so I think that is I, – I don't see a – a different answer for that. Um, if you were going to go with position player who left something to be desired, who would you go with? It's going to be Joshua Youngblood with how he was hyped 
Um, I know that's stupid. I think I think it's stupid considering he's a true freshman. And uh, but I just I thought we would see more out of him at the wide receiver position. I don't know why we're not. Um, I guess it's just you know he's got to learn that position and before they feel comfortable, um, you know, making him a key part of it. But he was just so hyped up, and we've seen what he can do in space. So I would say that he left me probably the most – he probably left the most to be desired for me at the wide receiver position because we just didn't get anything out of him. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, You know, he's still learning the art of running routes. He played quarterback in high school. I think he'll get there, but um, it's not a bad shout. For me, it's uh, Shabaskin Taylor – yeah, um, good one. You know, had a good game versus Texas Tech, uh, and maybe I just need to give up on hoping for stuff. But when you see him out there, especially when you look around to the rest of the wide receivers on the team, he he looks like he fits the bill. Yeah. And um, we've seen him have the moments where he fits the bill, but the fact where it's only a fleeting moment here or there is where it brings it to me. Um, so that's where I'm at. Uh, moving to the defensive side of the ball, defensive line. Uh, so, and keep in mind, this is a group that Reggie Walker was trying to say was going to end up being the best in the Big 12 um, at Big 12 media days. So, did they overachieve, underachieve, or meet your expectations? Who was the best in the Big 12? Baylor. Probably Baylor. Yeah. They were yeah. solid. They were really good, actually. Um, for me, gosh. I mean, I'd say they – I don't know. This is hard. That, one, that one's hard. I'd say they probably met expectations. Um Closer to underachieving or exceeding? I think they're closer to exceeding. I mean, would you say that they were really? probably a top three D-line? Maybe, but I, I, I guess maybe it's kind of the hype in my own head. I think there were too many times yeah. in the season where we came on this podcast and said that we were wanting more from the defensive line. Um, so I, I would say they met expectations, but they're closer to... seems like they've started uh, slow the last few years and, and kind of went on an upward trajectory. Would you say that that's fair that they did the same thing this year? Yeah. 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 I agree. That's, that's fair. Cause I, I mean, I thought like they progressively got better and more disruptive and in that Navy game, I thought they were very, very good at least. They were, they were. So I don't know. I, I would say probably closer to exceeding, but um, I was hoping that they could kind of be like a top three D line. And I would say that's, that's where they ended up. Yep, I agree with you. Who would you give your position group stud of the year to? Uh, definitely Wyatt Hubert. Yep, I agree with you. I think Trey Deshaun had a great senior season, though. He did. Um, who who would you say was a player who left something would be desired? Probably Reggie. Probably Reggie. Um, you know, he just and and maybe i think he's he's cursed by his own great freshman year um the fact that he had to he got to play with jordan willis and that jordan willis was so dominant um that it kind of freed up freed up reggie walker his freshman year and we all kind of expected him to build off of that and he never really met the same level um but you know i thought he had a pretty good senior year uh, but he probably left the most to be desired yeah, and I, I, I think you said it correctly. I think that Reggie Walker ended up being a guy who circumstances led him to having an elite freshman year, and he never did get to lead up to it ever again. I'm pulling up you know, the numbers right now. He ended up with only two sacks on the season, which is the exact same as Khaled Duke who literally came in late in the season in jet rush packages. 
Um, just, uh, you know, only ended up with 30 total tackles. Again, as a senior, that's something that you were definitely hoping for. And I, I think you said it right. I, I can't I can't add anything more. I was just – I was hoping to actually be surprised, quite honestly. I was hoping to be look at, look at his stats and say, oh, actually – it ended up being better than we thought. Um, no, it, it just was what it was, and that kind of is upsetting. So we will move on. Linebacker play, overachieve, underachieve, or meet expectations? They overachieved for me. Um, they were game in, game out. Um, I, I did not expect – I thought that they were they were probably going into the season, you know, one of our better units, but I didn't expect them to play at the level that they did. Yeah, I agree with you 100% uh, overachieved. Um I think I think that might be, and again I agree with you. I thought they were going to be good, but I thought at times they were great. Um, yeah. I so agree. I, on games where the defense played great, the linebackers you could you could definitely see a uh, correlation to that. So, and I, I assume we both agree that the position group stud of the year would be Elijah Sullivan. Uh, yes, sir. All right. So here's the question: Is there anyone on that? staff on the linebacker crew that left something to be desired um justin hughes's acl that's it <laughs> because there's no honestly my answer is no i thought they all played quite well yeah no i agree because uh daniel green definitely exceeded expectations uh daquan Patton had some very good games i don't think there's ever a time where i was sitting back thinking man yeah, he like uh, noticeably improved i thought he got way yeah. better yeah, he, he made a big jump from his junior to senior year. Then even towards the end of the year when Cody Fletcher started getting on the field, I thought he had some really good moments. So I agree with you. I think uh, J-Ball's ACL is the winner of this dubious award. Um, secondary, overachieve, underachieve, or meet oh, Let's see. I mean, probably meet ex- uh, Honestly, they may have overachieved for me because I thought they were going to be absolutely terrible. Um, A.J. Parker... I thought played played way better than people give him credit for. Um, it's unfortunate. He was a, unfortunate he was that. A, uh, go ahead. Well, sorry, I, and I, I need to be better about not cutting you off when we're doing Skype shows. But he was on his way to being like an All Big Twelve contender. Yeah, people give him way hurt. too much shit. I don't understand it. No, he he was great. Was unfortunate so for I, him I, to be I'm injured. Right um, you know, I thought Denzel Goosby was pretty good. He had his ups. Yeah, I mean, he has, like, you just kind of got to take the good with the bad with him because um, there are games where he's, I think, great and he's in position all the time, but there's also – but he's just kind of slow, and, you know, there's times where his athletic ability can get the best of him. Um, but I thought he was a good – really good leader for that secondary. Um, Wayne Jones got better. Um, I think some of the young – some of the young corners that came in, you know, did did a job, so – I would say they met expect. No, I'd say they overachieved, honestly, because I I thought that they would be bad. What do you? Yeah, think? I'm right there with you. Right there with you. I thought they were going to be a liability. I was nervous about them, but they really turned up. Um, yeah, they did what they, they needed to do for sure. Stud of the year, I'm giving to AJ Parker as well, just because he truly was the runaway best secondary player. Um, even when he got injured, I I mean, he still led the team in pass. Passes defended. He led the team in interceptions. I, th- he just was the best secondary player, and it, it really sucks that he wasn't able to, honestly, you know, play out rest of the year. Um, 
sucks, but uh, I think he has yeah. to get that honor. It's three years in a row. Of... Best corner has been yeah. out for the remainder of like the, se- the second half of the season. It's freaking shit. Yeah, that sucks. Um, is there a guy you would say left something to be desired? Is it Wayne Jones, and is it our fault? <laughs> maybe. I mean, maybe. I, I, think, I think when we were... Well, they talked up Wayne I Jones think... like he was freaking, you know one of the greatest Henry. players of all time. Um, so I was well, super I, excited, and I just love the name Wayne Jones. So we, we definitely I mean, he had started to. Thir- he started 13 games as a redshirt freshman yeah. as a safety in the Big 12. So uh, my, mine is uh, Walter Neal. Um, oh, that's – yeah, great great shout. That's easy, actually. So – but but I when it comes to Wayne Jones, I think we did hype him up so much without ever seeing him really play. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, maybe that's on us, but I mean – I. All I'm going to say is I'm, I'm really excited for the uh, three years of him. So we're going to wrap up real quick. Special teams, overachieve, underachieve, meet expectations. I think we both would say overachieve and, like by a lot. Oh, yeah, smash the over. Not even close. All right. Um, and we, we already said special teams MVP being young blood, so I assume he would get the position group stud of the year. You know, I'm going to change it because I think being the MVP and being the stud of the year is different. So I'll give it to Blake Lynch. Um, super, super consistent. Ooh, right. um, drilled some massive field goals. Um, I think back to the Iowa State game all the time um, in just insane wind conditions. He drilled them, no questions asked. Only missed one field goal all year, right? No, he missed two. Two. He missed two. One at Tech. Tech so. But, hey, you know, he's a little guy. And I'm a little guy. We're both little guys, so we got to stick together. He got absolutely screwed over by all Big 12 voting. He'll get um, it next year. I, yeah, I, I'm going to stick with Youngblood, but again, uh, I, I want to give a shout-out to Ankle. Um, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows how grossly overpaid I think Dustin Colquitt is for the Chiefs. Yeah. I so agree. it's now my dream scenario that the Chiefs – draft Devin Ankdol in the seventh round and he becomes a punter in Kansas City for 15 years and we become best friends and go to breweries together um did anyone leave anything to be desired um maybe on special teams uh, honestly not really um no not really only that the only thing I can think of is those muffed punts like that were a huge concern at one point but you know we kind of stomped that out. I thought you know special teams was great all year. What would you? Yeah, say? The what one, do you think? The one, the one thing I would say is uh, Malik Knowles only for the point of you know he took back that kick in the yeah. third game, and I was like, oh man, this dude he could take him back all the time, but then he got hurt and stopped doing it. But then that led to the the rise of crib god that is Joshua Youngblood. So I'm not mad about it, but I mean. I already didn't give one out for linebackers, so I felt like I probably had to give something out for this one. All right, um, so that kind of puts a wrap on what I had in the outline. Um, Do you want to give a final thought on the 2019 football season? I think in coming Saturday shows, assuming basketball doesn't give us something more fun to talk about, we'll kind of lay out the storylines and stuff we're going to be looking for uh, in the build-up to spring practice for the 2020 season, but strictly on the 2019 season, what are kind of your final thoughts? Put your final bow on the season. Um, I just want to say 
that it was a really fun year. Um, you know, after suffering through a few years of apathy, you know, at the tail end of Bill Snyder, and I'm speaking, you know, from a personal level, um, it feels amazing to be fully back and fully invested. Um, you know, Coach Klein massively exceeded my expectations. I think we were in great hands. Um, it feels good to have, you know, a good, good guy at the head, at the head coach position, and a guy that's, you know, I think has potential to be another elite coach. Um, it's fun to watch us recruit in the modern era. I'm just, I'm really excited. It was a fun year. There's a lot of really good memories, and I might, I might have to, you know, fire up some old, fire up some games and rewatch some of them this year because there were some good ones. Yep, I agree with you. Um, I, I I agree. I think the standard has been set um, of the baseline of what can be considered a good year from now on. I uh, if Coach Kleiman can walk into this team and win eight games, um, I'm not. I'm definitely not ever going to say fire him for only winning six or seven. Yeah. But I I I will have a hard time even kind of trying to put on purple shaded glasses and calling a seven or six win season under any circumstances, a good season. Um, so maybe from my own personal, uh, and, and again, he's not coaching to please me, but if we end up winning seven games next year, which you and I both always thought was going to be a tougher year, we always yeah. were saying that 2020 might be rougher than 2019. Um, uh, but if he only wins seven, I'm part of me is going to be disappointed. And, uh, that's honestly just a credit to how great he did this season. And, uh, you know, and I think that's good. I think that is good for K-State football. Um, we, I I mean, I, I think we're very close to abolishing the narrative of only Bill Snyder can win at K-State. Um, you know, I don't think you can declare that narrative dead after just one year. But if you look at the way that they are practicing and everything that goes into it, um I think I think we're close to getting there. So um, that's my bow on it. Um, we love you guys. For better or worse, I think we're going to – someone will be back doing a quick take hot take after the midweek basketball game. Um, I'll try not to sound like I'm going through an FBI voice changer. Um, so, I mean, we'll be back. We're going to keep going. If there's something you would like to hear um, for a midweek show instead of a quick take hot take type thing – feel free to reach out. We're always willing to listen to you guys and any suggestions you want. Um, I just don't want to go full off season mode in January. Um, yeah. Because, well, it might be fun to suffer through some basketball. Sometimes that's, I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe who knows. The worst part is um, just that's... watching the game, but talking about it can be kind of funny. Well, we'll see. We'll see what we can do. Um, we love you guys. Um, hopefully you're listening to this and uh, the Chiefs are hosting an AFC championship game at the end of the week, or they did Chiefs things and lost. Um, we'll see. Um, and then again, like I said, keep an eye to Twitter and K-State online if you're listening to this early on Monday. So we love you guys. Grant, uh, use your catchphrase. It's been a while. Meet me at the Cathead. <laughs> okay. Uh,
Social Podcast Network.